Welcome back, everyone, to Octopulse, our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast. I'm Assistant Sports Editor Mark Faulkner with our Red Wings beat reporter, Ted Colfin. Today, it's our NHL Draft Lottery preview with an interview with top prospect uh, Lucas Raymond of Sweden, and Ted will answer your lottery questions. We'll also be back on the night of the lottery for a podcast on Friday, June the 26th. Ted, with the wings out of the playoffs for the last four years, no Stanley Cup in 12 years, this lottery has become one of the most important moments in team history. It's been really quite a contrast, though, right, to see how the other half lives after making the playoffs for those 25 straight years. Well, I mean, there's no question about that, Mark. I mean, they've done, they're in the process of the rebuilding, and we've seen how important it is to to get these picks is, but mm-hmm. the thing is i mean they're in that rut now where they're adding these players but we're not seeing anything in results i mean it's kind of like they're on a treadmill basically and you're adding these people and they're not cracking the lineup immediately and you're stuck on that treadmill of being in that mix for the number one pick every year but no, obviously, I mean, they've shown, they've talked about the importance of get these selections and to get them right, develop these players and get them into the NHL. And that's all they can do right now. I mean, it's, like I said, they're, they're in that treadmill right now of being st- in these lottos, what now, for the last four or five years. Mm-hmm. At some point, they're going to have to get a player to get them over the top. You know, Ted, you raised an interesting point there about all the players they've drafted. No team has drafted more players, 32, than the Wings the last three years. They have another 10 picks this year, including six of the top 65. And we were just talking about conversations we've had with Red Wings officials and Privately, a lot of them know that you can maybe count on one or two players. You said Ken Holland often would tell you that, you know, if you got one player out of each draft, but 32 players in three years, um, and each one of them has their own story that we tell. But the odds, talk about an exact astronomical, Mark. I mean, it's basically like winning a lottery or whatnot. It's it's astronomical. Mm -hmm. Just their chances of getting into the NHL you are so slim and yeah that was kenny holland's basic rule of thumb if you can get one player from each particular draft mm-hmm. make it to the nhl you've done a good job it just shows you the how difficult it is to get to the league and a lot of these guys we pin a, i know they put fans pin a lot of hopes and dreams on them but it's it's the odds are against most a vast majority of these kids to ever make it to make, make the light of day in the nhl you just mentioned the lottery, June 26th. The date of the uh, the time, rather, has not been announced yet by the NHL. And the Wings haven't officially announced who will represent them uh, invariably on a Zoom call, whether it will be a Steve Eiserman or Chris Draper, Pat Verbeek, Ryan Martin. The uh, format for Phase 1, there's 15 teams, uh, three draws, basically, for the first three spots. And the Wings... Ted, as we know, have just an 18.5% chance of getting the first pick. If they get the first pick, undoubtedly, uh, unquestionably, do they take Alexi Lafreniere from what, from what you can tell? That seems to be the predominant opinion. I mean, whoever gets goes mm-hmm. one, they will get Lafreniere. I mean, evidently, he's everybody I've talked to, everything you've read, 
the kid's a generational player. So, yeah, I mean, it seems like be a foregone conclusion. Whichever team goes one, they will get him. And figure Ottawa, which is only two hours away from his hometown, Senators, <laughs> you can tell the Senators mm-hmm. keeping their fingers crossed that evening. And they seem they have the best chance. I mean, you figure they got their own pick plus San Jose's pick, which adds up to a twenty-five percent pick chance of getting that number one pick. That would be that would do wonders for that franchise on and off the ice. Now, if the Wings get the second pick, this leads us to our first question from one of our readers who who posed this question to you on Facebook. Uh, Greg Barbaza says, if the Wings do get that second pick, do you think Eiserman might choose to go with a defenseman such as Drysdale? Um, he says, with Cider looking like a top two future blue liner, this move could speed up the rebuild, especially with Ronick looking good. So if Lafreniere is off the board, Ted, and you have Quinton Byfield and, say, Tim Stutzel, and then maybe that defenseman, Jamie Drysdale. Uh, I mean, there's going to be another three or four months of speculation at that point. Uh, uh, I know there's a group of three or four kids that everybody seems to have there, and the Wings have talked about those kids, too. I'm not sure if they made a determination or made a pecking order yet. Uh, I'd be somewhat surprised at this point if it's Drysdale. I think Mm -hmm. the Byfield kid, the six foot five, six foot six center, I could see them go that route. I mean, they they could use a center of that type of pedigree in the organization. Uh, Could definitely see them go toward that. a lot of people like the Stutzel kid, though, a high energy guy, good two way center. They love that. So, I mean, there's obviously, like we said, like there's three or four kids there in the mix. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised about a defenseman, but, I mean, if they, if they wind up liking him enough, it'd be a nice pairing with, uh, with the Cider kid, no question about it. And you've heard, you, have good, have, you have heard good things about the Drysdale kid. I mean, there are some comparisons to Makar and Quinn Hughes. Uh, Nobody would turn away from a player like that, that's for sure. So if they wind up liking him, I could definitely, I mean, I could definitely see them getting the Drysdale kit too. Our uh, next question comes from uh, Michael McCullough through email. He says, Ted, any talk of making the NHL draft lottery more fair in the future? He says he hates draft lotteries. And he says the Wings, as the worst team, have an 81.5% chance of not getting the number one pick. He thinks it's outrageous, great injustice. And he says that the risk of teams deliberately tanking, he said that's, that shouldn't be the number one priority. So what do you think about Michael's question about the, the draft? See, I see it. I see it more than fair. And I kind of like the entertainment value. I think mm-hmm. most people enjoy the entertainment value of it. Uh, I think this does take away from tanking because there's no guarantee you're going to get the number one pick if you have the worst record in the league. I have no no issue with it. I really don't. I kind of I, I felt the other way they, when they were putting out the idea of maybe the te- teams like the Red Wings and Ottawa being weighted as far as getting the number one or two pick, and the, if they had moved up the draft in earlier June, I thought that was a bit unfair. And it was, frankly, I mean, I don't see what the excitement or the entertainment was in that sort of draft format so I, I think it's more than fine it adds to the entertainment value people talk about it 
And my goodness gracious, if a team like or Toronto or Pittsburgh or Chicago winds up with that number one pick, can you imagine the headlines and the speculation and the conspiracy theories? And I just think it's good for the league when people talk that much about it. Are you looking forward to the Friday night, Ted? There's still, uh, there's only, it's a short show. There's just three picks. I mean, they'll probably announce number three and then number two, which of course will make the team at the top. But, I'm uh, kind of curious to see how they yeah. do that, Mark. I mean, you obviously you can't build a half hour show around that, I don't think. So maybe it's just a little cut into the, I know NHL.com or something along those lines. Cause yeah, that will be rather intriguing. Um, like we said, I mean, it's always an interesting, interesting, entertaining evening. So, I'm, yeah, I think all yeah. hockey are looking forward to it. Okay, let's hear now from one of the uh, top players for that draft down the road when the draft is held. Uh, this is a player who has been compared to Mitch Marner of the Maple Leafs. His name is Lucas Raidman, and here's that interview. Joining us now from Gothenburg, Sweden, is 18-year-old Lucas Raymond, one of the top forwards for the 2020 NHL draft and a possible draft choice for the Red Wings. Lucas, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much. Lucas, we were just mentioning another hockey player from Gothenburg, a player that I met covering the National Hockey League, Jorgen Pedersen of the St. Louis Blues. I remember he told me about Gothenburg being a, a wide open area, one of the greenest cities in the world. Um, what, what do you remember about meeting Jorgen Pedersen for the first time there in Gothenburg? Um, the first time I met him was uh, when I was younger at a tournament. And he was, uh, since he's a, he's a big player here in, here in Gothenburg and Frolunda, so he delivered the, uh, a prize for uh, goal scoring uh, assistant points, uh, which I won at that time. So that was the first time I met him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also uh, met him a few times afterwards since he, he watched a lot of Frolunda games and are around the organization. So, yeah. Yeah, Lucas, he played for Frolunda, like you said, for about 10 years and then went back there after his career. And interestingly enough, there is a bit of Red Wings history with Pedersen. Back in 1984, he scored all three goals in a 3-2 overtime win at Joe Lewis Arena to eliminate the Wings in the playoffs. That was Steve Eisenman's rookie season. Eisenman was hurt in that game, didn't play in the third period. Eisenman also fought Pedersen in the regular season, one of only nine fights that Eisenman had in 22 years. Pedersen, of course, wasn't that kind of player either. Pedersen was a star on the top line with Bernie Federko and uh, as well as Brian Sutter. Uh, what I've heard and seen is that he was a very skilled player uh, with great vision and a uh, huge uh, offensive impact. So uh, sounds like uh, he, was, uh, he was a great offensive threat and uh, a huge player in Gothenburg and uh, maybe in America and Canada as well. Lucas, what's it been like growing up in Gothenburg? Your brother Hugo, your mom and dad, your, your mom's a fitness coach, a nutritionist. Uh, her business is called Nature Fitness. Lots of, lots of opportunities to be outside by the sea, lots of trails. Uh, tell us a bit about your family growing up in a hockey family. Uh, yeah, uh, it's like you, you mentioned, uh, I grew up playing a lot of hockey, watching a lot of hockey, uh, playing street hockey out on the street with my brother and his friends. Always got to play with them growing up. Uh, usually uh, got to be the goalie. Uh, <laughs> Grew up playing a lot of hockey, watching a lot of hockey. Spent most of my days and uh, time at the rink. Uh, at that time, the juniors and uh, the A team were 
practice in the, in the same facilities as well. So I grew up watching all the, the great players and, and was fortunate enough to, to be able to go on the ice with them. And yeah, so I pretty much spent most of my my days after school at, at the rink. And how about having an older brother like Hugo? He's three years older. I believe he was playing in the Division Three Swedish League. Tell us a bit about what that was like, your older brother, the two of you playing. Yeah, I mean, he, he's been huge for me. Uh, he always let me be with his friends and himself, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, so growing up, I uh, uh, always got to hang out with older 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 guys such as my brother and he he's always taking me under his wings and uh, always helped me with whatever it is and really pushed me to to develop and we always had kind of that competitive nature between us and yeah we we really uh, was together all the time growing up and still are so he's been a huge impact in my so far short career how about your mom and some of the nutrition lessons are there a couple that you've learned lessons you've learned uh with the nutritionist at Frolunda and maybe your mom i'm sure it's a big part of uh your family's lifestyle yeah uh, i mean sometimes it could be tough hearing it from your own mother. <laughs> uh you could listen more to another people saying the same thing but she's uh she's helped me for sure for sure and i think it, it comes natural when you don't think about it the food that she cooks or whatever it is uh uh, I think it's good for me and my training to to really get the most out of it. And uh, I think eating good is a huge part in, in developing. Uh, so I think she's been uh, uh, a big help for sure. You know, we just featured a USA hockey player, Lucas, uh, Sheanne Darkangelo. She's teaching a plant-based uh, lifestyle. No meat, no fish, no no dairy. It's quite restrictive and she doesn't go cold turkey do you have any rules at all or anything that you won't do or is it basically things that you you're you're learning with your uh, teammates with Frolanda and a few things that your mom tells you well I think some some things is uh, good for you and some things could be uh, not so good for you uh, I think a new thing is trying to maybe not eat so much red meat uh, mm-hmm. but I've learned it affects your body uh, in a certain way but uh, I think that in my position that the biggest thing is just eating, uh, eating the amount, because uh, we're training and practicing a lot. So uh, really uh, being strict to, to eating a lot, uh, I think is the biggest thing. Uh, wasting so much energy and stuff like that when you're training, I think that the biggest part is really uh, eating and uh, the amount. Lucas, let's move on now to uh, the Frolunda Indians. You've been a part of this uh, organization for four or five years. Uh, the team that you played for this past season, they've won four titles in the past 16 years. Um, tell us a bit about the strength of the organization, the structure, and, and how it's been a big part of your life so far. Uh, yes, like you said, I've been playing for Frolunda my entire life since I was three years old and uh, grew up in the organization. And Hmm. Watch them win a lot of titles uh, and stuff like that. So it's it's a great organization with uh, with great teams and always are at the top of the league. And uh, especially this year, we had a tremendous team with uh, a lot of good players. Uh, probably the the best roster in uh, in the SHL and most of the teams in Europe as well. So uh, it was uh, it was a good season uh, and. Uh, like you said, Folunda is, is a great organization with great development for, for younger players as well. Uh, so I really uh, like it there. 
Lucas, how about two players on that team? The captain, Joel Lundquist. He's 38, the twin brother of Rangers goalie Henrik Lundquist. He played for the Dallas Stars from 2006 and 09. He's played almost like 800 games. Uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts on him as well as Brandon Gormley. He's 28, a former first-round pick by the Coyotes. And I know that he has had a role in trying to prepare you or at least give you some advice heading into the draft. But maybe you could talk about those two players. The captain, who is uh, one of the uh, cornerstones of the Frolanda uh, organization there, and defenseman Brandon Gormley. Yeah, uh, I mean, Joel is probably one of the biggest players ever played in the Swedish league. And uh, he's probably the biggest figure. Uh, mm -hmm. He's, uh, he's a great player and a great leader. Uh, he's a really impressive guy that you can learn a lot from watching. I think he's uh, the most uh, impressive player that I ever played with. And uh, it's, it's really great having a guy like that in your team uh, that you can really learn from and watch. And uh, just by watching him, you, you learned a lot. And uh, yeah, I'm pr very fortunate to, uh, to be able to play with him. Uh, and Brendan as well, I didn't know him before this year, but we became really good friends, and he's uh, he's a great guy, a uh, great hockey player, but uh, extremely kind off the ice as well, and helped me with ride to the ice and gave me a few tips. And mm. uh, like you said, he was a former first-round prick and a very talented player. Uh, so he he's a great guy and really really uh, helped me helped me out a lot. Uh, so I. Uh, yeah, I really like Brandon for sure, and the same with Joe. You know, Lucas, it's an interesting aspect of playing in Europe where you guys are, like in Germany or Finland, uh, Sweden, Russia, where a lot of the players your age, when you were 17 years old, again, you're learning from uh, an icon in Swedish hockey, Joel Lundqvist. We just spoke with Tim Stutzel, who had the same situation. His center was Ben Smith, who won – uh, Stanley Cup championship with the uh, Chicago Blackhawks and Tim said it was so nice to, to get to learn how to be a pro off the ice on the ice uh, uh, Ben would invite Tim over for meals and just make him feel so welcome and and learning how to prepare for games so for those who aren't used to that system who are used to say coming over here and playing with players their own age say 17 18 19 20 can you talk about, um, well, you did talk about your relationship with Joel Lundquist, but just how that is different and how it does help some players in the growth of their game. It's like you said, uh, having a, such a big player and uh, with yeah. such a great impact in, in hockey is a big thing. And I think you learned a lot from it, not just on the ice. I think the biggest part is probably off the ice, uh, how they behave and handle themselves with, uh, with training, uh, uh, during games, before games, after games, uh, all of that stuff. Uh, I think that's a that's that's a huge thing, and uh, one thing that is uh, a big benefit as a young guy playing in Fulham as well, and uh, not just Joel, all the other guys as well. Mm -hmm. So, but I think, like you said, Joel for sure is one of the uh, greatest uh, leaders that you can look up to and watch and learn from. He's uh, he's a really impressive guy and. Uh, I uh, really, really like him and look up to him. Lucas, another aspect of playing for a team like Frolanda, so you're 17 years old and it's your draft year coming up and one of the players you've been uh, compared to is Mitch Marner who played three years in the OHL, had lots of ice time 
in comparison to, to you, you had only uh, approximately 948 of ice time this year, 10 points in 33 games, a healthy scratch a few times. But can you talk a bit about the, maybe not the positives, but how do you handle uh, that situation where you know, we watched Mitch Marner play here for three years. The first year, he was almost named Rookie of the Year. The second year, he almost won the scoring title, was drafted fourth overall by the Leafs. And the third year, with uh, Matthew Kachuk and Christian Dvorak, they won the Memorial Cup. And before that, he played with Max Domi. So um, that's one way to develop. It's neither the right way or the wrong way. How do you uh, cope or how do you feel about not playing as much uh, during your draft year, but maybe learning more about two-way hockey? Yeah, it's like you said, I mean, growing up, I always been kind of the go-to guy in every team I played in. Yeah. And I got to play huge minutes. Uh, so coming into this year, not getting that same role, I think was uh, extremely uh, valuable for me, especially coming up as a young guy, you really have to earn every minute uh, or whatever it is. Uh, so I think that's a, that's a huge lesson to, to really learn uh, that, you, that you really need to fight for a spot and uh, really uh, be there every practice, uh, every minute that you get. Uh, and I think that's a big lesson, especially coming up. Uh, always been kind of the go-to guy. Uh, so to be able to, to feel that feeling as well, it, I think it's really good uh, because it, if you want to make it to the National League, I don't... I uh, think anybody comes in expecting to uh, be first line, line player or whatever it is. I think you really have to earn your spot and to, to be able to uh, learn that and uh, learn how to handle it. I think that's a, that's a huge, huge thing and uh, a huge lesson as well. Was it frustrating at all? Do, would you talk to the coach, to Joel, others? Um, or, or did you just handle it as best you could knowing that you may not even be in the lineup some nights. Uh, no, I mean, I talked to a lot with the coaches uh, mm-hmm. some players as well. Uh, but, I mean, it's, uh, it's the nature uh, of playing in a men's league. Uh, you uh, really have to fight for the spot and all of the other guys in the team do it as well. Uh, so it's really not a unique situation. Uh, it's, it's the nature of, of men's hockey that you... You, you really have to, to fight for your spot and for your ice time and uh, uh, for the jobs for, for the other players as well. So uh, it wasn't really a big deal. It was uh, mm-hmm. uh, just me uh, doing everything I can, every practice, every game, the chance that I got uh, to really uh, make the lineup and uh, be, be a produceful player. Yeah, that's interesting, Lucas, because you're right. If you have 948 of ice time, you want to make those the best 948 you can. Your good friend Alexander Holtz uh, for uh, Dew Garden, uh, he averaged 1253 of ice time. I looked up the Red Wings ice time just to give our readers like an example. Dylan Larkin uh, played 2115. Uh, Anthony Mantha almost 19 minutes per game. Um, but your team sounds like you guys do run four lines. Is that the nature as well? Um, because otherwise you'd get more ice time. Yeah. Uh, I think last year was a special year, uh, with, with the lineup we had. Uh, I mean, I think our fourth line, uh, could have been a first line in most of the other teams in the SHL. Uh, oh, so, good. So with the lineup we had, I think the uh, Fort Land team that was said that we're going to run was uh, very excess- successful and needed uh, with all of the great players that we had. Uh, 
So I think uh, that was for sure a big, a big thing. Can you give me a sense just how good this team was? We, if, if you said a fourth line could be, you know, a, a better line on another team, um, and and you guys were having one of the uh, the best seasons in in the history of Falunda hockey. Just how good was this team this year before you know the COVID nineteen shut down the uh, the season? But um, how would you measure how good that team was? Uh, I mean, it was really good, especially since we had such a so many good individual players. Uh, a lot of we didn't really have a fourth line, if you can call it that. We had uh, a four line hockey team, uh, okay. I'd say. Uh, so. Uh, of course, we have our power play guys and stuff like that. But I think uh, it was such a great team individual with so many good individual players. So I think that was the the big thing that made it made it good, and that the team really got together. And um, like I said, when you when you have a lot of good guys on the team, it's easy that it gets uh, it creates conflicts and people start. Uh, with the ice time, since it's a lot of good players and everybody needs to get their cut. Um, but I think that's one of the big reasons that everybody on the team really, really bought in and mm-hmm. um, and really played for the team. Lucas, what did you mean by by conflict? Just just trying to move up in the in the roster in the lineup? Is that what you meant? Just just that uh, you know that you weren't satisfied with necessarily your ice time. Uh, what what did you mean by that? When you have so many good players in the roster, yeah. Uh, it's easy that, of course, everybody wants to play, and especially when you have so many good players, uh, every everybody wants to play as much as they can. Uh, so when you when you have so many good players, you have to spread the ice time between everybody. And when you have so many good players, it's easy that maybe one of them get a bit less or whatever the case could be. Our story will focus on Steve Eiserman going through a similar process to you, and he was in Peterborough his second year. The team had a four-line uh, team as well. Eiserman went from 21 goals to 42, but he was only 32nd in league scoring. The Peets had a defensive first system, and there wasn't really one player who always got the uh, power play time or uh, was elevated above the others. And some feel uh, that Steve Eiserman may have benefited from that system down the road. So my question to you is, um, do you think that, you know, being maybe not held back, but playing more on a team oriented system might help you long term with with your development? Yeah, I'd say so for sure. I mean, it was the, like the thing I talked to in the beginning that uh, that you really, really have to earn your ice time and spot. I think that was probably the biggest thing. I mean, we uh, we had our first power play, we had our second power play uh, with a lot of good players. So you it comes back to the first thing that. Uh, when you have uh, a four-line team and a and a tough team with good players, you you really have to fight for your spot and play good to to earn your minutes. Lucas, can you tell us a bit about uh, your game? When you were here in Plymouth at the summer showcase, your coach Thomas Monten said that you were really competitive, not afraid of sticking your head into situations that you like to create and compete, and that you were learning how to protect the puck like all players your age. Can you tell us a bit about? Uh, what your game was like when you came here in Plymouth and then, you know, through the world championships and where we are now, how's your game right now? Uh, I think it's uh, it's a more mature game. You, you learn to play a lot more defense playing in the SHL, uh, but also develop your offensive side, which, hmm. uh, which is my upside a lot, of, uh, a lot as well to, to really uh, be able to protect the puck and make quick and fast plays and 
hard place and playing playing in the junior league i think sometimes you can't wait for the perfect opportunity a bit more because you have the time but in shl in the men's leagues uh, i think that the time is and space is it's even smaller and you really have to take the opportunity that you're that you're given. There are some analysts like Sam Cosentino of Sportsnet. He said that you're a tough player to nail down based on limited opportunities stuck between two leagues. But I don't get the sense you feel that, that even though you had just the 10 points, you may be a better player right now. And would that be accurate that, you know, some people may see the limited points? Can you see where some people might wonder like, oh, if only he had played here or had more time? Does that make sense that there's some people wondering just where you fit in the draft? Yeah, uh, I mean, of course, if you if you look at the stats and the and the ice time, of course. But I think if you uh, if you watch me play, see, especially I think as a young offensive guy coming in, not getting to have the puck a lot and playing limited ice minutes, it's tough to really create something. Mm-hmm. And I think the times where I got to play on the power play or got big ice minutes, I I uh, really played well. And uh, if you look at the uh, Worlds as well, uh, I think in some part, yes. But I think as well, if you if you watch me play, I think you uh, can understand it more. What are your thoughts, uh, Lucas, about possibly uh, being drafted by the Red Wings? We've asked this question of Quinton Byfield, Alexi Lafreniere, Jamie Drysdale, Tim Stutzel. There's lots of options, but the Red Wings do have a top four pick. Uh, what are your thoughts about being potentially drafted by the Red Wings? I mean, it would be a dream come true for sure. Uh, getting drafted to any any NHL, NHL team would be uh, extremely huge. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, of course, getting drafted to Detroit with a history with me, Swedes would be for sure a dream come true. Uh, and I've been to Detroit uh, as well one time and visited uh, the arena, and it was a really cool cool city. Uh, and I really liked it there. So. Uh, if I were to get drafted there, I would uh, be extremely happy for for sure. Lucas, what are you doing now uh, getting ready? Uh, a lot of the teams have called you, including the Red Wings. There's a lot of teams interested in in, in asking you what you're doing during uh, the pandemic. What, what has life been like for you the last uh, couple of, of months? Sweden has stayed open more than most countries with restrictions, but what's it been like moving in and around Gothenburg? Yeah, it's like you said, it's been... Uh, different uh, for sure uh, with uh, with all of the things going on right now and uh, during around the world uh, but Sweden has been remaining pretty open and been able to practice on the ice off the ice and most of the things are are open as well so I've uh, been pretty fortunate here so far and been able to uh, move around pretty pretty easy still. Lucas, uh, thanks so much for your your time today on the podcast and and best of luck heading into the draft. Yeah, thank you so much. There you have uh, Lucas Raymond and and Ted, time for uh, one last question uh, from our readers through Facebook. Uh, This was about one of the players. Uh, The the question was posed by Kip Kleinhusen, who says, despite Jimmy Howard's abysmal season, do you think there's any chance that the Wings will sign him for another year, uh, Kip says that the Wings have a history of showing loyalty and that, uh, as we've said on the podcast before, Jimmy Howard has a long and productive career and they could sign him cheaply. Uh, you've spoken to a lot of players, including Jimmy Howard, Robbie Fabry, and Tyler Bertuzzi during this break. What do you think about Kip's question about, about Jimmy Howard? I just don't see it. I, I, there's no question that the previous regime was very, very loyal to a lot of players, but 
I don't think this regime has any of those ties at all. So I'd be very surprised, actually. I mean, didn't have a very good year. That's, that's, that's numbers speak for themselves. And I think it'd be pretty difficult for them to bring him back with that type of performance that he had. So I, I, it'd be a long shot at best, but I think they're definitely going to go in another direction to we'll get another veteran goalie and to work to just go in tandem with Bernier. Who, Jonathan Bernier had a nice year last year. He really did. I think he deserves probably to go into next season as the number one. They'll find another. There should be quite a few veteran goalies on the market this year. So I'd, I'd, I'd be very, very surprised at this point if Jimmy Howard returns. And uh, Ted, the Hockey Hall of Fame will announce this year's nominees on Wednesday, June 24th. There's one apparent lock, Jerome McGinley. I have one quick story about McGinley with a uh, Red Wings connection. When I was working at the Calgary Herald, I sat down with Jerome in the Saddle Dome for a story on the 20-year anniversary of the Flames. He was the captain, and he asked me about Steve Eiserman finally winning the Cup. And I said that Eiserman spoke about lifting the cup and handing it off to his teammates. His wife was there, three daughters. Um, but Steve Eisenman also talked about seeing the many faces of the fans in the lower bowl. All those fans who saw him grow up the 14 years waiting as captain to finally, to finally win the championship and how he was able to share that moment with the people who were waiting 42 years for the cup. And uh, it was interesting that Jerome never won the cup he won two gold medals in the Olympics, two Memorial Cups with the Kamloops Blazers, 625 goals. But, Ted, it just speaks to, doesn't it, just how difficult it is to win the Cup and, and how when we were walking out of the Saddle Dome, like Jerome was just kind of looking back, and he knew a lot of, like, the corporate uh, season's ticket holders and friends that he had met, and uh, that's just that one goal that everyone seems to it, – it just completes a, a career, it seems. Yeah, it seemed like a lot of people were really pulling for him once he went off to Boston and to Pittsburgh, but just never clicked for him. I really thought that Boston roster that he was on was going to come home with a cup, but it just never worked out that way. And then Pittsburgh, he had a cup of coffee with Pittsburgh there at the end, but that didn't work out. No, I mean, it's he's one of the – I would definitely think next week he'd be a cinch. I mean, yeah, one of the genuine power forwards in the league. And I will say one thing about Hosa. I don't know if I've seen a better two-way forward. I mean, as big as he was, and great, great, powerful skater, very just powerful skater. If he doesn't make it next week, I think at some point he definitely would. I think Hosa was one of the better players I've ever seen. Yeah, Mary Alfredson. I, I would yeah. think Alfredson at some point gets his gets a yeah. spot in there. He's not a genuine lock, but. Um, his numbers definitely compare with anybody's in, in the, you know, in, in the hall. So there's some, definitely some worthy candidates, no, no locks, but definitely some worthy players. Yeah. You mentioned some of the other uh, players with wings connections, even if just briefly like Marion Hosa, Daniel Alfredson, uh, possibly Curtis Joseph, other wings. Uh, there's three time cup champion, Chris Osgood with his 401 wins, um, in the builders category, Red Berenson with his four national titles at Michigan. A guy like Berenson would get a lot of support, I would think. I mean, he's definitely 
carved out a niche in this in this game for sure. Um, and well, it'll be interesting to see. As far as Osgood, I just I don't know about you, but I just it seems like the time has passed. I don't, I'd be a little surprised that I think he would be too. I think his best chance probably came in the first couple of years he was on the ballot. So that'll do it then uh, for episode 28 of Octopulse. Uh, we'll be back then right after the NHL draft lottery to uh, break things down and see where the wings uh, wound up one through four. So until then, stay safe, everyone. Take care of others. And Ted, we'll talk to you on uh, that Friday night. See you then, Mark.